what's up everybody so i do have a cold first and foremost if my voice obviously sounds a little bit different but you are now listening to the energy is love podcast thank you everybody one thing i want to throw out if you haven't already please go to itunes and subscribe if you haven't already and also if you would take a minute and rate and review the show that would be amazing it's one way to help podcasts grow and expand and as always that's what we try to do with our show so remember you can go find all the episodes at energieslovepodcast.com as well as stitcher youtube google play music itunes everywhere you know what this episode of the podcast is brought to you by one of our amazing sponsors it's as above so below which is located in roy utah so if you live in utah wonderful you get the opportunity to go visit if you don't i apologize make sure you make note of it as you drive through as above so below is a super cool little metaphysical shop where they have pretty much anything and everything that you would possibly imagine or need for your whole spiritual journey The folks at As Above, So Below are also really good about hosting and putting on events on a regular basis. Coming up on December 17th, they're going to have a spellcraft workshop. You say, what's a spellcraft workshop? Well, it's the opportunity to learn how to work with some of the different things involved in spirituality and energy healing slash work. Some of the stuff that we talk about on the podcast. So that's December 17th. Also, January 5th of next year they're going to have a basic Wicca class. This is a four-week class. Starts January 5th and it'll run throughout the month of January. It's your opportunity to come into As Above, So Below and learn a smorgasbord. That's a big word that doesn't quite fit, but learn a ton of information and a ton of techniques, all designed to help you get closer to whatever it is that you believe in, whether it's the universe, whether it's energy, whether it's God, angels, it doesn't matter. So go check them out. Go like them on Facebook. That's where you can keep up to date on all their events that they do and host. You can go to our website, energieslovepodcast.com, and click on the Sponsors tab. There you'll be able to follow a link to As Above, So Below, as well as some of our other sponsors, like Crystal Water Float Spa. Crystal Water has been sponsoring the podcast since the beginning, and we also record a lot of our episodes out at Crystal Water. It's a great place for podcast interviews. It's also a great place to float. At Crystal Water, they have the Dream Pods, which are really incredibly high-end flotation tanks that are on the market. They stem from Singapore, a company called Dream Water, manufactures and produces these float tanks. If you've never seen a Dream Pod before, either come out to Crystal Water and float in one, or go to dream-pod.com, and you can check out all the information about those Dream Pods, see some pictures, all that kind of stuff. Crystal Water is also the nation's only distributor for the Dream Pod, so... If you're looking to open up your own float center, you can contact Crystal Water today and get your tank shipped out. So remember, crystalwaterfloat.com or dream-pod.com. On today's episode, I got to sit down with Christopher Renstrom of rulingplanets.com. Christopher is an astrologer who has been practicing since the 80s. He goes into, into detail about his past a little bit in the episode, and it was really fascinating and fun and exciting to learn about. He started out doing tarot card readings in clubs in New York during the 80s, so I can only imagine how crazy that was. Super insightful guy, tons of information in this episode. I can't even kind of touch on all the things that we talked about and hit upon. But if you've ever been curious about astrology, if you've ever 
wondered some of the history involved, some of the ways that uh, people work with astrology, uh, also what astrologers really do. This is the episode. Christopher explains and describes things beautifully. So you can go find Christopher, like I said, at rulingplanets.com. Obviously, he's on Facebook. Uh, we'll go and share all those links in the show notes as well. Thank you, Christopher, for taking the time to be on the podcast. Christopher's definitely somebody we're going to have back on the show in the future. So for now, folks, sit back and relax and enjoy this wonderful episode of the Podcast for the Universe with Christopher Renstrom. You're listening to the Energy is Love podcast. Energy is love. The Energy is the love podcast. The Energy is Love podcast. Energy is love. The Energy is Love podcast. The podcast for the universe. The Energy is Love podcast. Well, good afternoon, Christopher. Hello. I forgot to ask you, do you go by Chris or is it just Christopher? I prefer Christopher. Okay. Yeah. Christopher Brenstrom with rulingplanets.com. Mm-hmm. So I do have, I told you before we started that I kind of don't have any questions, but I do have one question for you that I want to start off with. Sure. Astrology. That's uh-huh. such a huge, in my mind, a big, big realm of information. It's a huge topic with lots and lots and lots of stuff. 3,500 year history. Yeah. <laughs> so it's been it's around huge. for a while. Yeah, it's huge. <laughs> How did you originally back in the day get interested in it and get involved in that? <laughs> okay. Um... I was about 18, and I had just come to New York City, and I had been accepted at the uh, Juilliard School of Drama, and uh, I was all set to be an actor, and I sort of realized about six months into it, like, I didn't want to be an actor. I mean, I was interesting, but it was not that interesting, and (laughs) you had to really commit yourself to full self-absorption to be an actor, Um, and so I had switched over to playwriting, but while I was doing that... I'd gotten very interested in William Butler Yeats and had uh, wanted to uh, write a one-act play in the style of his own uh, Kuhalan cycle. Um, Mixed up in all of that was an invitation to come study with an astrologer on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, uh, Carolyn Esnian, and I did. She was the star pupil of Zoltan Mason, who was a very big deal um, in New York City uh, in the the 70s and the 80s. And it was an extraordinary uh, opportunity. She taught me pretty much everything I know about astrology. So it was way back when you were 18, huh? Yeah. <laughs> and I've been practicing full-time since uh, the age of 24. Wow. <laughs> so I think a lot of times when... Um, that's funny, too, that you wanted to be an actor. That was my passion when I was a teenager, my big plan. And I, I could had... tell because you've got like that actor charisma, <laughs> you know, energy. <laughs> yeah. It's funny how our life goes, though, right? Yeah. Um, do you think that astrology, because I always think this as well, that I think a lot of times things find us because we're obviously yeah. intended to go in that route, in that direction. Do you feel absolutely. the same way? Absolutely. Absolutely. I had actually... Uh, for the f- first number of years, maybe a good tennis years or whatever, I was better known as a tarot card reader. And um, then I was an astrologer. I mean, the astrology was in conjunction with, but uh, tarot cards is how I made my living. And so I would go to work at about maybe 10, 1030 at night. And um, I would work all the major clubs like um, Area, Studio, Danceteria, um in 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 manhattan and i would work until maybe about 3 3 30 in the morning then do the after hour clubs and then i'd get home maybe about 
eight o'clock in the morning or something like that and sleep and get up and go and read cards again. So I did a lot of VIP rooms and, and that's basically how I built up my clientele through Tarot. So I read for a lot of uh, Wall Street people and um, Madonna and Cindy Lauper and Johnny Sex and Warhol crowd and the whole gang. And, uh, and it was really an extraordinary education. I wouldn't trade that for anything. So you just kind of go and set up at these clubs and whatnot mm -hmm. and then read for people? Well, yeah, because the thing is, if you had an, ast an astrology chart, you'd have to draw it up. And so that was like impossible. You couldn't read that quickly. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you just had row cards, you, you know, take up a table in the corner of the VIP lounge or whatever, and you throw out the cards and people are like, hey, what's going on? Or whatever. It's like, we're doing tarot cards. <laughs> and, and, you know, they'd gather around and, and you could read, you could do very, very quick readings. And, and yeah. How long did you do that for? <sighs> About maybe 1985 to 88 or 89-ish. We had a Wall Street crash <laughs> around that period of time that that's when a lot of the clients left and uh, the uh, landscape changed and that's actually when I was picked up by Allure magazine which was Condé Nast publications uh, to write a horoscope column so I went into astrology full-time um, at, at about uh, 90 at, at, at that time that seems so crazy to me that back during that time period you're I mean, I think it's awesome. I didn't even realize that that was, I mean, was that something that people kind of did or was that just your own thing where you would go in and do the whole tarot cards and there, well, I'm going to give you the whole, <laughs> there was so, uh, the East Village at that time was such a party capital of New York. There was like so much cocaine going through that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, so there was a, like a lot of disposable income and, you know, uh, there was an extraordinary art scene that was going on. I mean, it was, it wasn't just partying all the time. It was also an extraordinary art scene and music scene and and actually independent film scene that was uh, developing in that time as well. And so there was such a fascination and interest with, you know, um, how's my uh, stock going to do? How's my company going to do? How's my uh, fashion label going to do? How's my singing career going to do? And 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 then love and and all those sorts of things. But yeah, there was a there was a great deal of, of interest with that. And and the clubs was a fantastic place to to do readings. I mean, it wasn't you know what one would expect. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> but, but it was wonderful. I mean, like it really taught you how to read for people in a variety of different contexts and and a variety of different environments and then everything was word of mouth and and yeah this before the internet and everything so everything was absolutely word of mouth did you find like a lot of people that would come back to you for more advice absolutely like it's that? how i built my clientele and it's ultimately how i got the um the allure magazine thing is because i had read for a lot of the models like christy and naomi and things like that and so you know they're like oh he's really good and, and, and so it sort of developed in that and it was an extraordinary really really an extraordinary opportunity and then it branched out i mean i had clients from the hasidic community i had clients who um were dying of aids and in hospices so i would you know it wasn't just like you know, glamour of the clubs, but I would read in a variety of different environments. I, I was young then, so I would actually go to them, <laughs> which was insane. <laughs> and, um, but again, it just to read for such a variety of people from such, you know, cause New York city, it's like you get 
everyone from all sorts of different backgrounds. Yeah, it's that huge melting pot. Huh? Oh, yeah. And it was, well, one of the craziest readings I did, and I, I can just tell you the question, not the person, but, you know, because everyone's like, you know, what was your craziest question as a Tarot reader or whatever? And it was like, it had to be, um, will my military coup be successful? <laughs> <laughs> And the answer was no. Yeah. <laughs> and she wasn't pleased with that. <laughs> but yeah, that was the craziest question. <laughs> do you still work with cards at all anymore? Mm, I do something called Tarot Slam. And uh, and so I, I work with people who work with cards. And so we do that every other month as part of the, um, as, as part of kind of an outreach to the Salt Lake community and really enjoy that. But as far as like sitting down and doing a reading from someone, I, it, it's too time consuming, you know, for me and, and, and energy, which is funny thing because I used to like do five minute readings on the, on the whatever, but I really prefer astrology. There's a beautiful structure and, um, architecture to astrology and so i really really prefer that in terms of reading but i do have a love for cards i liken tarot cards to poetry mm -hmm. and astrology to uh prose that's that's how i kind of describe the difference between the uh, two of them i like that yeah so you said you were 18 when you went to new york yeah like where were you originally from though like where did you grow up uh menlo park california yeah it wasn't that well known at the time that I left mm -hmm. <laughs> and then a few years later it was like whoa <laughs> <laughs> but that's where I'd grown up I, 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 I had it, it was a wonderful place to grow up it was uh you know near the Stanford campus and so um you know it was I, I, I was born in the 60s and so you know uh, I, I got all of that, you know, sort of 1970s, you know, counterculture flavor or whatever, which was really uh, delightful. Mixed in with suburbia, it was kind of like a weird surrealistic <laughs> <laughs> mix there. But but it was an extraordinary time. It was really, really an extraordinary time. And certainly um, a time of flowering for, you know, anything dealing with spirituality or, or alternative beliefs. I mean, this was the time when it was just really... Well, that's what I want to kind of ask you, because, mm -hmm. I mean, that time period, that time frame, the 60s and 70s, I think, and granted, I wasn't born until... my I was born in 81. Okay. So I missed out on that time Ah, yeah, kid. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, there is a lot of stuff that took place during that time period. Mm -hmm. And like you said, it was a really ideal um, place for expression and for growth and a lot exploring of yeah yeah do you think that because i i've talked to people before in the past and things like that and it kind of feels like we may be in that same kind of time period absolutely. now do you, would you agree in a sense absolutely absolutely um i can only speak from astrology mm -hmm. you know because i i mean i'm familiar with other disciplines and approaches but not you know but um astrology is going through an extraordinary renaissance right now i mean it's really uh we have a variety of different schools um you know there's hellenistic astrology there's jungian astrology there's uh, evolutionary astrology um and they're really kind of defining themselves and what's kind of nice actually about the current crop of astrologers is that there isn't this real need to compete with one another i mean the older astrologers you sort of still see it show up and i'm just kind of like really <laughs> you know and i think in a lot of ways it's because the internet has really sort of opened up exposure and so there isn't that need to sort of like you know i have to body tackle the next client type yeah. of thing and so it becomes more relaxed and also i think um the culture of 
Oh my God, am I going to really say the kids? Uh, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, forgive me. <laughs> but but um, there is a culture of sharing information, you know, which is really, really wonderful. And people sharing uh, not only information, but their journey and their exploration. And so it's not as balkanized as it was, you know, earlier, where people really sort of had to like stake out my territory and this is my score, this is my belief, or this is what whatever. And th there's this, this there's this open sharing that goes on. And and what's also exciting about astrology is that we have texts, um, uh, Islamic texts that are being translated right now that no one's read and. You know, hundreds of years, mm -hmm. and so we have also astrologers who are not only translating this. You know, they're kind of like uh, university professors who are closet astrologers, but that's always <laughs> been the case. Yeah. It's, it's actually always been the case. But they're translating this, and they're also translating the techniques. And so techniques are being um, reconstructed. I don't know how pure they are, uh, but they're certainly being reconstructed, and they'll have to be tested like other techniques. Did the prediction come true or not? You know, mm -hmm. that that sort of thing. But just to sort of backtrack a little bit, the time, the flowering for astrology right now is really, really extraordinary. It's going off in, a, in all sorts of different directions, whether it's dealing with planets or midpoints or the Uranian school or asteroids. You know, it, it's just really, it's an exciting period for astrology. Do you think it kind of comes in conjunction with, because if you look at, um, I mean, even within the span of my lifetime and whatnot, mm -hmm. you can see, or I can see the difference in regards to kind of the way that uh, we've been able to map the stars and see the universe and you know how much further out we can see and understand mm -hmm. and do you think it comes in conjunction with that where the more understanding that we have with what is out there the more we can kind of dive into astrology more or get more from it certainly the uh invitation for creativity is there but also it brings up snarky snark attacks, you know, <laughs> where people are like, you know, what are we going to like invite all these asteroids on in, you know, and, 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 and it really gets ridiculous. I mean, my joke is there's an asteroid for that, you know, yeah. instead of there's an app for that, there's an asteroid for that, <laughs> you know, because there'll be the asteroid of Baskin Robbins 31 flavors. And, you know, I went and got an ice cream today and the asteroid, you know, I mean, it really can get ridiculous um but at the same time there's still this wonder and this awe and um people are starting to sort of throw out ideas of like okay if we discovered alien life what would that do to our astrology <laughs> yeah i mean we wouldn't have the you know the points of reference or the perspectives and, and and things like that and so people are starting to really really play around with that idea i mean it will always come back to the fact that we are on planet earth and everything in astrology is seen from the earth's perspective um even though we all know that the planets orbit the sun from our point of view the planets orbit us you know and the sun is for instance regarded as a planet it rises it goes to 12 noon and it sets and starts on a new day but you know that appearance is that it orbits us and so from from an astrology and setting up a chart uh the planets are plotted in in perspective from the earth's point of view so that will always no no matter how many ets are phoning home in our future or whatever <laughs> that that will always be you know the basic cornerstone of astrology here so if we look at um because i'm not super well educated uh, oh sure you know i'm probably one of those guys that understands a lot about I understand a little about a lot of different things. Perfect. You're 21st century. <laughs> <laughs> but if we look at ancient civilizations and in the mm -hmm. realm of spirituality and energy healing and all these kind of metaphysical things, so many times people draw 
um, energy or experience or insight or practices and things like that from early civilizations. Mm-hmm. And we all know that, you or know, their idea of early civilization, exactly so what, you know, what we think we understand of yeah. them. But we know that there's a lot of um, connection with early civilizations, not just with Native Americans or Mayans or whatever we want to classify, or mm-hmm. you know, whichever area we're picking. Um, there's a lot of correlation between those civilizations and the cosmos and the galaxy and absolutely. the stars. Yeah, absolutely. So, does astrology stem from some of that? Some of that early understanding? Absolutely. And, astrology is a calendar. That's why every major civilization, or maybe even not so major civilization on the face of the earth has some form of astrology. It was created in order to tell time. That was its job. Mm -hmm. So this whole idea of like, you know, fate or star worship or gods or things like that, no, it was an instrument that maybe showed up in religions and maybe showed up in science, but it wasn't exclusively a science, nor was it exclusively a religion. It was a calendar. I mean, if you could design a year and draw it into the four quarters of the four seasons, you know, and map out the time when the sun felt like it was closest to us, summer or furthest away from us, winter, or the sun was rising on a new year, like in spring or setting on on a year, like in the fall. Once you set up that in the seasons, uh, then you actually set up this continuity. You know, the world goes from being a place fraught with change and accidental happenings and who knows what's going to happen to actually consistency and continuity. You know when to plant, you know when to harvest, you know when to build a temple, uh, you know when to marry. And so these are the early horoscopes. This is what this is why they're cast is in order to come up with the best time to, for instance, go to war or to launch a ship. Or will my ship come get, come back? You know, we have early uh, horary horoscopes, which are question horoscopes, mm-hmm. which are basically they're 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 really a collection of will my ship come back? Will my harvest do well? Um, you know, is the woman I'm marrying trustworthy? Is, is her family going to be go into debt? <laughs> you know, I mean, they're these kind of like mundane sort of questions. But then they would place these questions in time. Uh, you could almost think as, as an astrological question being time-stamped, you know, and this is centuries before the internet. It's time-stamped with a horoscope. And so you would read, you know, what's the nature of Mars or Jupiter or whatever with this, and then you would do your best job to answer that question. So astrology actually went against this idea of like a fixed fate, and it was really more about how do you negotiate you know how do you time something so that you get the most effective action you know you don't want to plant crops in the dead of winter you want to do them in the spring Mm -hmm. you know and so astrology was basically time telling and time keeping and as i said that's why we have babylonian astrology mesoamerican astrology um indian astrology chinese astrology um we have uh um, they don't fit our understanding of astrology, but they're absolutely astrological systems that are coming out of Africa, um, areas in Latin America, the uh, Pacific Islands. I mean, whenever you were using the stars to calculate time and to set your calendar, that is astrology. Well, then we've been doing that forever. Yeah, in a sense. exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> So interesting. I'm so excited to get to talk to you. <laughs> We've been trying to get I'm this glad. interview up for a while, and I'm really, really glad that we made it happen. Um, how much of it, because if we think about 
like you said, there's all these different types of astrology from all, mm-hmm. you know, the four corners of the world where everybody, every culture, yeah. everybody's got some different aspect it's of it. It's a big sky. Yeah. <laughs> and so does it have more to do, like if we think about it and the way I'm looking at it or the way I'm thinking about it is that you have like astrology as a whole, um, but then you have, and, and like you say, it's a big sky. So, you know, their viewpoint when they're looking up from whatever continent they're on is mm-hmm. going to be different than ours, right? Mm-hmm. So it's going to mean something different. Is that correct, right? Yeah, well, I mean, the biggest example would be Vedic astrology versus Western astrology. You know, um, Indian astrology, they've got a whole different calendar than we do. They're on a lunar calendar or on a solar calendar. So if you've got a different calendar, you've got a different astrology. You're still working with the same you know, planets, uh, but where they're falling into your calendar is going to be different. Uh, that's why a lot of people, when they go and see an Indian astrologer, will be like, well, you know, I thought I was a Sagittarius and now I'm a Scorpio. And it's like, <laughs> well, because you're dealing with a 13-month year. <laughs> you know, that's that's a that's a difference there. The moon is being changed every, every year. Yeah. And the original astrology uh, before Julius Caesar was lunar. It's, it's, it's moon. It's a moon calendar, so it's lunar astrology. And so that will be like the Indian and the Chinese astrology, for instance. Uh, Caesar puts us on a solar calendar. We go into the Julian calendar, and so that that then you know changes changes uh, the way that you're mapping out time. Yeah, I don't think a lot of people really understand. I mean, <clears throat> and my guess is, and I could be completely wrong, but I don't think a lot of people really understand or realize or even have awareness of the fact that there is a lunar calendar that we do have some other way of telling time. Well, if you're Jewish, you, you know this, you know, or, yeah. or if you're Islam, you know this, you know, um, if you're Asian, you know this, <laughs> you know, actually we're living by a solar calendar and it's like, okay, we're, we're not the whole world. We're our part of it, you know, yeah. sort of thing. But yeah, you're right. Uh, but that may be changing. I, I would imagine with business and things like that. Well, how have you seen it? Like not just that aspect of it, but astrology. Have you? How have you seen it change, evolve, grow in this? And you know, in the time that you've been working in it. Oh, like like okay, not not the solar lunar calendar, but astrology itself. Yeah, just as a changed. whole. Like how have you seen it? You know, like you talked a little bit earlier mm-hmm. about how you know, nowadays people are much more open into sharing and it's not so regimented and people being so closed off and wanting about. Well, there are different fashions and trends that come through astrology. Um, At the time that I was learning, uh, Jungian astrology was really popular. You know, you you collected all of Liz Green's books, you know. Um, And so, uh, you know, the idea of like practicing therapy and astrology and getting into the soul psychology of of the client you know these were the things you know that were pretty much you know this is the way that astrology is going to be practiced um and it's turned away from that it's it's not um it what happens is astrology is a very uh, welcoming hostess. Um, she'll be like, "Oh, you want to do some Jungian psychology and throw it onto my symbolism? Fine, okay, we can do we can do that." You know, and so it fused for a while. But you know, the purists started coming in and saying, "You know, well, listen, this isn't all of astrology. There's predictive work. There's the Arabian parts. There's um, sidereal astrology. Uh, then evolutionary astrology was coming in that was going to deal with the evolution of the soul and how you can." chart that on a chart and and so it kind of like mush, mushroomed and went off in all sorts of different directions again i think uh, nowadays from what i can see at conferences and things like that the emphasis seems to go back to like horary astrology which is comes from it, it refers to the hour the hour you ask the question horary astrology and so there's more of a predictive or question answer type of thing i'm not sure how much 
um, therapy, quote-unquote therapy, is being done, um, which may also reflect the current therapeutic uh, culture where yeah. it's more right it's like you know you've got depression here's a here's some drugs or whatever <laughs> and the person's like well I thought I'd talk about my mother issues and like wrong psychiatrist you know <laughs> and, uh, whereas it was the opposite you know mm-hmm. I mean you know I came to came of age or whatever in New York City you know following Woody Allen films so everyone had a psychoanalyst and you know and, and yeah. so yeah, yeah, and so but I would say right now it's becoming much it's getting more back into perhaps a predictive orientation uh which i hope it doesn't go too far in that direction because i like uh i like the counseling and the storytelling aspect of astrology and really sort of opening up uh the person's chart and really exploring those motifs and and archetypes i think it's really wonderful but i'm not sure if it's as much in its ascendancy as it used to be let's break it down a little bit more so that because that's one of the neat things with this podcast is mm-hmm. listeners all over the world and this may be the first time that you know hopefully this isn't the first time that they've actually heard of astrology or a horoscope or something like that but give me an idea or break it down a little bit more so that the person who doesn't really have an understanding mm-hmm. what is it how is it done your horoscope is basically your play and there are 10 actors in it mm-hmm. you know there's the sun moon uh these are the planets that i'm naming there's the sun and moon which are con- considered planets it comes from the greek word planetos which means wandering star and that was to uh com- that was to describe the difference between the lights in the sky that moved and the lights in the sky that didn't constellations were lights in the sky that did not move whereas the sun and the moon were lights in the sky that moved when the sun came out you didn't see any other planet <laughs> or when the moon was was out um that's the one that like drew your notice drew your attention so it basically goes uh, sun and moon. The sun is what I know about myself to be true. Okay, so if someone's describing your sun sign and if they're doing it very well, you should be able to identify with it. You should be able to recognize, like the sun in daytime, I recognize these qualities about myself. So the sun is pretty much the heart of the chart and it's what you know about yourself to be true. Uh, the moon rules over what I feel about myself to be true. And we know that uh, feelings are very fluid and very changeable. And indeed, no planet changes its appearance in the sky more dramatically or more often than the moon does. And so the moon rules over our emotional life, but also over our unconscious, our dream life, where we go to for uh, emotional security and safety and for comfort. Uh, Mercury, which travels very close to the sun, is what I th- is, it will be the planet of what I think it describes the way that we think. Do we think quickly or do we think slowly? Are we drawn to ephemeral information or do we have to go and look up things? Do we talk endlessly without coming to a point or do we make a point and why do we have to talk about it anymore? So the way that you communicate, the way that you think is described by Mercury in your chart. Venus is the planet of what I attract. Okay. Uh, she's been described as the planet of love, but I pretty much keep her with what I attract. And in my opinion, this is me, uh, of all the planets, Venus is the one that we do not own, okay, because it's our power of attraction, but I don't think we're really connected or understand how we attract. And sometimes that can be a good thing, and sometimes that can be a very bad thing. Uh, For instance, attracting the wrong kind of attention or attracting uh, very dark impulses coming from another person, that's all going to be ruled by Venus. Venus Venus's job is to bring people into your life. Uh, Mars is the planet of what I want. 
Okay, so it's what I will fight for, what I will, what I will go after. Uh, Jupiter is what I believe. Um, Saturn is what I fear. It's rules and laws, and it's also what I fear. It rules over basically the Achilles heel of the astrological chart. It's the weak point, the thing that you're always trying to cover or to hide, but in its own way is probably one of the truest things to you. Uh, Uranus is the planet of revolution and change. Uh, it was discovered uh, in the last 250 years. These are the modern planets, Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto. Uh, the original seven stops at Saturn. But then we go to Uranus, which is the planet of revolution and change. Uh, what I don't expect. Uh, Neptune is the planet of dreams, what I yearn for. And Pluto is the planet of ordeals and the transformations that arise from them. And I make sure that those two ideas go together with Pluto because a lot of times Pluto uh, astrologers will say, oh, it's a planet of transformation. I'm like, no, it's <laughs> the ordeal first and then the transformation that arises from it. It's that <laughs> shit you have to go through. You got it. And then you'll eventually get to the other side of it. <laughs> you can't be alchemical without the shit. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're going to do somebody's chart, what information do you need or what information do you draw from in order to get that insight and that information in regards to all those nine points? Planets. It's pretty basic. A ten. Uh, it's it's Pluto still a planet. Because <laughs> a lot of people are like, is it? It's like not dead yet. But uh, you need the birthday, the birth time, and the birthplace. And uh, we, you know, I'll draw up a horoscope, and then we sit down and we talk about how these characters work with you. Uh, because each one of these planets is in a different sign, and so Venus. The power of attraction is going to be Venus, no matter what sign she's in. But it's like a woman would dress and behave, for instance, differently in Paris than she would in Uzbekistan. Okay, so it really is the sign that Venus is traveling through, or the country that Venus is traveling through, that describes the way that Venus acts in your chart. She will still be a planet of attraction, but you know, how you look in Paris is different than how you look in Uzbekistan type of thing. And that's how I really like to uh, describe that difference. And so that's when the chart really becomes a kaleidoscopic uh, narrative because the planets are continually traveling through the signs. And this is what we use to do two things. Uh, the initial reading is a description of the person, you know, in their life. And then the secondary part of the reading is a calendar because astrology is, at the end of the day, a calendar. And so it will time things in your life. And so you'll know about times that are difficult and times that are easier, times when you're plateauing, no matter what you do, you can't make that card and pony show move any faster, <laughs> you know, and times in which you'll feel like you're on the speed round of Jeopardy or something like that, you know, things are happening very, very quickly. And so that's also astrology's job, which is to get you from one point to another in your life. And is it, um, <clears throat> is it only going back and showing you your past, or is it going forward as well and helping you in the process? Of it always goes forward. It, it's, it's always moving forward. But we spend a lot of time in the past because astrologers are historians. We look back to the past to see patterns. These planets have been here before, you know, and so the particular configurations that they make, it's kind of like a very elaborate dance. Uh, they're always moving through the sky, but then they'll form certain geometric patterns with each other. Trigonometry, actually, um, astro 
Hipparchus, who discovers or invents trigonometry, does it because he's an astrologer. What he's doing is that he's taking a 360-degree circle and he's drawing geometric shapes like squares and sextiles and triangles on it to plot the course of the stars. That's the origin of trigonometry. It wasn't just a, you know, whatever. It was, it was there for a reason. And he was working out eclipses, which was always the thing that astrologers were in charge of doing, was working out the eclipses. Mm -hmm. That's how you rectified your calendar. But I think I sort of went off point a little bit there. Um, but astrology will always move to the future, but it's also dealing with the past as well. And that's some of the stuff that I really... Um, enjoying the way that I had been raised with astrology and, and taught astrology, which was to really kind of sink down into the roots of the person's psychology and background, you know, to see how the planets really emerged out of that and how that's going to influence or shape um, moving forward. It's always coming from a root in the person, the chart. It's always seated in the person. Will somebody's chart change over time? So if they have a, a, a reading or something like that, they get their chart done when they're 25 years old. Is it going to look different when they're 45? Same chart. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's like a seed to a plant. You, that plant, no matter where it goes in its life or how it grows, was a seed, you know. So, and this is what the astrologer Dane Rudyard was very famous for. He would talk about the seed self, you know, which was the core self um, that that ultimately, you know, is going to be expressed through the outgrowth and the growth and the evolution of the chart. So the the chart that you're that you come in with is will always be a screenshot of the sky at the time that you were born. But then there are things in which astrologers work with different techniques, like progressions, for instance, or returns, in which they move that group of, of or solar arc directions <clears throat> where they move that group of stars forward but they're moving forward on a wheel they're not changing their placement in the chart they're just the whole cluster is moving forward in a wheel and what you're always looking for is tying in the plants where they are right now to the plants where they are in your chart you can have a chart which is not really being affected by anything heavily right now Okay, this is why you can't read from, you know, a whole bunch of people, although I do write sun signs horoscopes, <laughs> and that's about trends. But anyway, um, because the thing is you don't know how it's going to tie into that person's chart. Mm -hmm. And so where the planets are right now in the sky will tie into the person's chart and also the context of that person's chart. In that circle, we have 12 houses. There's a house of self, a house of money, a house of friends, a house of death, a house of self-undoing, you know, and, and, and I liken it to spaces on a monopoly board. You know, the planets will, you know, they're kind of like the little dog or the shoe or the iron. You move the token, you know, so many X amount of spaces and then where it lands. And so it may land in the house of marriage or it may land in the house of debt, you know, and then these things are then what's being served up and then as an astrologer i have to my job is to help you negotiate that you know to to time it and and then to help you negotiate that that terrain i'm not going to just sort of show up and say <laughs> wow you've got you know seven years of famine good luck yeah later <laughs> let me know how that works out for you <laughs> yeah exactly uh now <laughs> so then i my next question i have for you because i'm sitting here thinking about it and this is my um my take, not necessarily on astrology, but in a whole when it comes to the huge cosmic thing of life and why we're here and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Me personally, I think uh, there's a certain amount of randomness and chaos to the way the universe works. Absolutely. Where I don't necessarily think, because there's a concept and idea in regards to spirituality and this whole idea that we have like a book of life or a soul contract or something like that, that mm -hmm. we 
sign up and agree upon we're going to come down to this planet or this experience or this realm or whatever we want to call it and mm -hmm. this is the life that we're going to lead and we understand that we're going to have these trials and these tribulations that we're going to go through mm -hmm. i don't necessarily believe that i think it's way Good. more chaotic and random than that in a sense you're right <laughs> <laughs> and so how does astrology take into account the fact that if we look at it in that way where that you know i know that we can map the stars and the planets and the way that they spin and that they move but um how do we take that information and take into account the the chaos even though it's kind of this beautiful chaos of life the universe and life right. how do we account for that you know how does astrology take that into a corporation and guidance for people and their lives and things when astrology wasn't a calendar mm -hmm. it was used by sailors to steer their ships by Okay, sailors used the stars to get to their destinations, and sailors used the stars to tell time. Uh, the major source of commerce, really, at the time when astrology becomes popular, are sailors, and the main transmitters or uh, uh, transmitters or communicators of astrology are sailors. Uh, begins with the Phoenicians. Astrology comes over the colonies with the first uh, with the first colonists. Um, it was always a guidebook, you know, it was always there, which is why, in my opinion, it's one of the most beautiful things that our civilization has created. It was always used as a guidebook. So astrology is basically a traffic report, a weather report. Um, it's the ephemeral information. It's the stuff that you tune into at the beginning of your day. Like, how are your stocks doing? How's your, what traffic route are you going to take? What's the weather? What are you going to outfit yourself for the day? And that's just what a horoscope is. It was always meant to do that. You know, does that stock report or weather report or traffic report from 10 days ago have any meaning for you right now? Right? You're like, yeah. so what? Who cares? <laughs> it's the same thing with astrology. You know, I mean, it was that disposable. You know, so astrology never became an ideology, it never became a religion, it never became a science because, and in my opinion, it survives because of its disposability. You know, you don't keep your calendars. I mean, I keep mine because we're always using almanacs and things like that, but, you know, most people don't keep their calendars, you know, and so most people don't keep their predictions or whatever. So astrology was here to help you get from one point to another, from cradle to grave, basically, in the best shape that you could possibly get there. And so who's gonna get to work faster? The person who just jumps in the car and drives to work or the person who puts on the traffic report and finds out, hey, there's an accident or whatever and here's an alternate route. Well, astrology uh, serves the same, same purpose. It's to help you get through your life and to understand the chaos. You know, I mean, that's one of the most beautiful things about astrology. It's not gonna tell you that there's no chaos. You know, it, it, it's there to help you through the chaos and to even understand the chaos. What you do with your own chaos is your own business. You know, there are charts of, there are charts of people who, there's a very real question, for instance, of whether that spiritual uh, chaos or that psychological chaos is going to overtake them. You can see charts in which um, you're just like, wow, I... I hope this person is set up in such a way that they can get through this or grow from this. And you can see charts in which it's just game over. Yeah. You know, and I hate to say that. I mean, it's one of the worst things, you know, whatever. And as an astrologer, we're always coming from that corner of helping that person to get through that. 
But you can see horoscopes in which it's really, you know, the person's going to be blindsided. And that's the irony. It's usually the horoscopes that are really the most stressed out or look difficult that everyone's like, oh my goodness, this is horrible. Those are the survivor horoscopes or those are the horoscopes that will go on and do great things because they're operating with pressures and difficulties and and obstacles. Whereas a lot of times it's what I call the the long avenue of green light horoscopes where, the, you know, there's exultations or they get out of things or something that actually uh, will not end so well because everything came so easily. Yeah. And so there was nothing to register. There was nothing to combat. There was nothing to challenge. And so it's the path of resistance, like the lemmings over the cliff, you know, type of thing. So so these are the subtleties that you really sort of, you know, sit down and, and work with in astrology. And I do have to say, it does have that side to it. You know, it and 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 it's a side where you know it, it can be a little frightening. Where you know, what do my stars say? You know, type of thing <laughs> or whatever. But but our job is to help you get get from point A to point B. So how much of um, like for you personally, mm-hmm. uh, not necessarily you know we're not talking about astrology or astrologers or people out there, but for you personally, after you do somebody's chart because. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of it that is, you know, you're punching in information in a sense and you're drawing, you know, like you said, you get their date of birth and their location and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But after you get all that information and put it all together, is there an aspect of reading that chart or reading that chart for that person that you feel is an intuitive aspect of what you do? That's the most beautiful part. Because I, you know, it's the most beautiful part to to read for someone. You can get in. I mean, I could look at somebody's chart. I could study astrology. I could do Mm -hmm. all of these different things. And, Mm -hmm. um, but I think that, tell me about that. Like, tell me about the intuitiveness that you use in regards to connecting with that person. Well, I would change intuitive to to experience. Experience. Okay. Um, you know, I'll hear astrologers say. You know, it, it to me, it's like horrible to say it's like get out of the business that you know where it's like oh there's this type of person or i'm so tired of reading these types of charts or whatever and i'm just i don't say anything out loud i'd like to think i'm polite but you know i just secretly think then get out of the business if that's where it is for you right now get out of the business because the person coming to you with that chart is a unique soul and they have an extraordinary journey and there are no two charts that are alike and to sit down and read for someone you know, and you can be tired, you can be whatever, there can be other things on your mind, and within seconds, you're just in this high. I mean, it's just this really wonderful, beautiful experience. And just you working, me working with the person to unlock the chart, to unpack the chart, to discover where it's going to go, it's just, it, it, there's nothing like it. It's 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 a rush. It's a wonderful experience, and 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 it's a creative collab- collaboration. Astrologers are readers. They don't know anything. They read, you know. And that's what I teach my my students: is you read. You don't know a damn thing. <laughs> okay, yeah. you, you are you you there, but for the glyphs and the grace of God, go you. You know, and but to be able to engage in that experience where. You're reading someone, and then hopefully you can be f- there for them. You can, you know, you celebrate s- their successes, and you're there with them through the loneliness of their pain. You know, um, there have been people that I've read for in which everyone's left. You know, and and you know they're standing. Uh, a lot of the hospice work that I did in the '80s, where there was really um, 
no way out. I mean, the person was diagnosed with AIDS and this was it and da 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 da. But some of those, I mean, those regions were beautiful. I mean, we just sort of stood hand to hand there right at the edge of the world and they would want to hear about their chart, you know, <laughs> and to talk about the chart and the planets and the stars and the archetypes and things. And it just brought them so much joy and it brought me so much joy. And we didn't have great answers, you know, I mean, the guy was, was going to pass away soon, but we just had this extraordinary moment, you know, I mean, they're not all that, you know, like that, but you have these extraordinary moments where you unlock the chart and the person sees things in a different way or some, what's often a testament to a successful reading is that the person gets what you're saying. They're like, <laughs> okay, I get that. I understand yeah, that. They can you connect know. with it. Well, because we carry time in us, you know, we talk about ourselves living in time, but it was Niper who said that, uh, uh, time lives in us, you know? And so we carry our own time in this world. Mm -hmm. And so I think that, you know, when a, when a reading is really connecting to someone, they're like, yeah, I mean, I don't like what you're saying or I like what you're saying. That's great. <laughs> you know, but I get it. I can see why it's time for that right now, you know, and that's, that's one of the beauties of astrology because it will set your horoscope in the, in the big calendar. It will set your horoscope in, in time, in the big sky. And it gives a wonderful sense of place and perspective. You don't feel like a rudderless ship adrift. You know, you feel like you're sailing somewhere. Yeah. Sometimes the wind fills your sails and sometimes it doesn't, <laughs> you, know, you have to bring out a, or you know, along, yeah. you know, type of thing. But, but that's what it does. And it's a beautiful experience. I mean, that's why, you know, I always teach my students fluency, 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 get fluent in the language. It's not about like, I got that one, you know, or I, you know, I scored, I read that prediction right or whatever. I always say to them, who cares? You know, I mean, I can't tell you how many astrologers, how many times I've experienced where a prediction has come true and the client forgot it or didn't care anymore. So, <laughs> or big deal. <laughs> so don't get invested in the predictions. They're so like yesterday's news yeah. <laughs> you know, type of thing. Get more involved in, in the art and the fluency of the language. Um, <clears throat> so if we look outside of astrology and the way that it influences and affect people on individual basis, right? Mm -hmm. So we have a specific person's chart. Mm -hmm. um, is there also... Like, is there a way to look at the information for maybe uh, mankind or for the planet or for stuff on a bigger, broader scale? Yeah, they tried it with the election. <laughs> Astro wipeout. <laughs> Everyone got that one wrong. <laughs> they came out of left field. <laughs> and, uh, and that's also the great humor of astrology. It's like, you know what? You screwed up. You called it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> you know, go back over your, uh, go back over your work, go back over your files, go back over your charts well, and try to find out where you went, where you went off on it. That could be some of the chaos that's out there, right? Absolutely. Where... We're, we're dealing with right now, um, this very sustained, um, Uranus Pluto square, which is going on. And, um, this started with the Arab spring, uh, what is that? 2010, 2011. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and, and that's when Uranus entered Aries, which is a uh, very, um, I mean, if you want revolution and change, you're going to have it in Aries. Aries is like, you know, light up the spark and burn everything. Um, not all of them. I mean, 
Everything is an extraordinary sign, and there's a lot of, uh, you know, people who've made themselves. I mean, it's really the sign of the person who makes themselves, you know, they, their self-empowerment or, or, you know, I follow my own uh, uh, spirit on things. But, but Uranus is the planet of revolution and change, and I liken it to a wheel. In fact, Uranus is the only planet in our solar system that orbits the sun spinning like a wheel. I mean, it's uh, poles are where everyone else's equators are. You know, it's, it's revolving on its side, so it looks literally like a wheel in the sky. Um, this began then, and then it began squaring Pluto and Capricorn, which can be very staunch and inflexible. And so what you really have, and I got this from this book I read the other day. I feel bad that I can't remember the name of it, but it was wonderful. Um, you know, the book opens with the author saying, you know, you go into a library and you can find books and books and books on revolution, you know, but you go into a library, how many books can you find on reactionaries? Very few. Yeah. And so you really have revolutionary versus reactionary, which is going on in the sky right now. And so everyone, everyone wanted to get behind revolution, like progressive, like we're moving forward. And no, we have this Pluto and Capricorn, which is extremely reactionary. I mean, you know, the best days were in the past. We're not going to change from here. And so it literally took that revolution and flipped the whole thing on top of itself. So you've got this wave of, you know, conservatism or whatever. And as an astrologer, you go back into your history and you look at what happened before. You know, Neptune was discovered, um, Neptune entered Pisces around the time of the Arab Spring, and when it was discovered, I think it's 164 years ago or whatever, there was, a, there was a revolution taking place called the Spring of Nations, and it was taking place in Europe. And that's where Marx writes the Communist Manifesto, mm. like right when, you know, Neptune comes on in. And so, you know, so you can see that we've been here before, you know, that these things flip or there can be a reaction or whatever that, that, that takes place. And our job as astrologers is to be good historians, is to go back and find that and then be able to sort of like interpret what's going on as we move on forward. I mean, it could be like, okay, this is the big break, breaks being pushed on progress and it will last three more years because Uranus is only in uh, Aries, I think two, maybe three years more. Or um, it could have brought up you know, Pluto, things that were under the surface that are very reactionary and very dark, and it's the time to really shine light in it. You know, you're not shining light if you're screaming at someone on the opposite end of a whatever, but you're shining light if, you know, all of a sudden you can't get to where you were going anymore and you need help or you need to engage in conversation or something like that. And that may be uh, what's going on. Certainly Pluto's connected to mortality. And so the mortality of the planet, the mortality of civilization, how we deal with mortality, the right to death, you know, these are the issues that are very, very powerful right now. So it's not, you know, tie-dye shirts and yoga pants, <laughs> you know, this is, you know, these issues are in the boardrooms and they're in Washington and they're yeah. very real. And Pluto will always play for life and death stakes. It's ordeals and the transformations that arise from them. Well, that's, you know, because that's what I was thinking as you're sitting here talking is that, in my opinion, and the way I kind of look at it, it is, it is that opportunity for us to go through this experience, this transforming experience of, you know, on the outside, or sometimes we can look at it and realize, I mean, it just looks so miserable, and how are we going to get through this? And I mean, 
you know, we're talking a little bit about the election and the current state of America and things it like was that. Wildly to a certain extent. depressing. And yeah, <laughs> for so many, particularly for so many of my older women friends, mm-hmm. you know, just to see, my God, we couldn't get we couldn't get um, ERA through. We can't like elect a woman. Pro- I mean, like <laughs> Jesus, Mary and Joseph. It's just like it was really. De- We're stuck with white guys again. I know my daughters. We, my wife and I, we've got three daughters, and they woke up because I didn't let them stay up for the election. Mm-hmm. They're all teenagers. You were kind. Yeah, I'm like you guys. It doesn't matter. Go to bed. You'll find out in the morning. And that was the first thing that they asked when they woke up. Right. And then they were just pissed off and depressed and yeah. frustrated. and Yeah, because it's kind of like, but then you realize a lot of different things, which is, um, you know, they're not the same placements, but the placements are very similar to the 60s mm-hmm. in the United States of America. Um, that uh, When you say placements, are you talking planetary about? Planetary placements. Okay. Yeah, there's a similar style of energy that's going on through. Back then we were dealing with a Uranus-Pluto conjunction in the 66-67, I believe, 68 period. And right now we're dealing with the Pluto-Uranus uh, square. Mm-hmm. Okay. A conjunction is basically, think of a hand of a clock. The hour hand and the minute hand are in the same spot. That's a conjunction, so 12 noon. Whereas a square is quarter. Quarter mm-hmm. past the hour, twelve fifteen. Okay, so when planets are at the same exact point, it's a very powerful point. And then when they're squaring each other, they're in conflict or they're struggling with each other. Um, and that's a signature that's repeated to to now. And what we're seeing is basically everyone said, you know, government needs to be fixed. And da, 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 da. well, now it's passed it back to the people. This is your government. What are you going to do with this? You know, are you going to buy into whatever? Are you going to, as Thomas Jefferson said in the Declaration of Independence, if you don't like your government, take arms against it and throw it over? Yeah. That's the part of the Declaration of Independence people don't read to. They just read the first (laughs) part, but they don't keep reading. Thomas Jefferson and Aries says, you don't like the government you've got? Get rid of it. I think that's what's going. I mean, I think that's, you know, this is kind of the catalyst for massive change that needs to happen. Yes, absolutely. Where it's not necessarily we're sliding backwards and it's going to, you know, all these things. There's that, no backwards to slide to. Yeah. I think it's really just a matter of this is going to be the opportunity for us to get pushed into that next phase and that next level of where things really can change now as opposed to everybody just talking about change and well, not I doing think, anything. I think there was a dream, to use chaos, mm-hmm. your word, I think there was a dream that was going to be done nicely. <laughs> you know, and now we realize it's not going to be done nicely. It's not going to be nice. Yeah. And, and you know, at first it was kind of like, oh, you know, is it going to be rise of this or rise of that or whatever? No, you realize people are really angry. People are really angry. And you've had uh, people in leadership positions. I mean, you can fire shots in the sky and start a stampede of cattle, but it doesn't mean you can hurt it. You know, and that's where we are right now. And so there's a lot of anger and there's a lot of fear, things that are connected to Pluto. Um, Capricorn is things in the past. This has always worked. Don't change it. You know, and so Pluto is eating away at those Capricornian um, virtues, which I, you know, I'm sort of hate to say because I'm born under Capricorn, so I like my sign. (laughs) (laughs) But there's, but Capricorn is very much the traditionalist or the reactionary. And this is what came out was, I don't think anyone, including, you know, the people who were being called reactionaries, realized how powerful the reactionary uh, behavior was. But I don't think we should assume for a moment that it's unified or comprehensible. I think it's, you know, different 
different people, different groups, different whatever that are that are acting out. Yeah. And uh, so it's going to be well. Uh, hide your money and lock up your daughters. Donald Trump's <laughs> in the White House. <laughs> It's a good mantra. I like that. <laughs> Mr. Toad's wild ride. <laughs> if you remember the Disney thing with the eyes. Yeah. <laughs> Gets behind the car. <laughs> um, I'm hoping you can answer this question or at least speak on it. Um, okay. There's another thing. Well, not another thing, but one of the things that happens and pops up and you'll see it, you know, in the realm of spirituality and in the, in the community of spirituality in a sense too is um, when Mercury will go retrograde. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so... I'd love it if you could explain what the hell that is for people out there. Because <laughs> you'll see that pop up and you'll see, you know, people talk about it. And, oh, tons know. of times because Mercury goes retrograde three times a year. Yeah. And it's like, well, it's, you know, it's retrograde again. So we have to stay home and we can't go out and we can't do anything and all these different things. Right. No, so. no. That's uh, Mercury retrogrades are one of those things that ha- it's one of those astrological terms that's really drifted into pop culture. And mm-hmm. it's drifted into pop culture through sun sign astrology and things like that, which... Um, I'm all for. I love sun sign astrology. Um, I'm, I'm a sun sign astrologer and proud of it. Um, but it's one of those things that has sort of drifted into popular culture. Uh, Mercury um, retrograde. It's it's the planet of communication. Okay, the planet of thought, and it's the buying and selling planet. Okay, uh, the Latin w- root of Mercury is merc. And from that, we get merchant and mercantile and merchandise. Okay, so Mercury retrograde basically refers to um, a period of time when it appears as if the planet is moving backwards in the sky. Okay, the planet isn't really moving backwards. If it did, we would all be in a lot of trouble. (laughs) Okay, but it looks like the planet's moving backwards in the sky. Okay, and this isn't something that astrologers could see anyway, because Mercury travels so closely to the sun, you can see it, you know, at its longest period, like I think it's 90 minutes before sunrise and 90 minutes after sunset, and then that's it. Mm -hmm. So Mercury retrograde is when it looks like it's actually moving back into the rays of the sun again. Okay. Um, What it said is that any planet that is retrograde okay so mercury can be retrograde venus can be retrograde that's a special gift <laughs> mars can be retrograde jupiter saturn uranus they can all be retrograde everyone can be retrograde but the sun and moon when mercury is retrograde a lot of times it's watch out for any sort of technical glitches you know uh, because mercury is also uh, connected to commuting um, it can be connected to cars short trips short journeys commuting um, how something was bought, how something was sold. It can refer to um, offthetruck.com, you know, merchandise, which is, you know, kind of dodgy, you know, <laughs> sort of thing. So a lot of times people would say Mercury's retrograde, so be extra careful about, you know, a purchase or, or selling or getting from one place to another. Uh, from what I've seen with it, they're kind of marvelous. Actually, I love Mercury retrogrades. Um you take three weeks and you add two weeks to it for postponements and delays and difficulties. I mean, Mercury just loves to sprinkle flies in the ointment, you know, and, <laughs> and drop monkey wrenches, yeah. you know, and at the smooth running of your day, it's not going to happen, you know, type of thing. But a Mercury retrograde can also invite you to revisit the way that you approach your normal day or the way that you think. Mercury retrograde a lot is like sort of adding up a column of numbers over and over and over again and you get a different answer every time. So it forces you to walk back over 
you know, how you're doing your sums. And that's the best way to work with Mercury retrograde because it can actually, it has its own genius. Uh, did you ever see the film The Shining? Yes. One of my favorite examples of Mercury retrograde, okay, because Mercury is how do I get from here to there? And so <laughs> it, it can be a direct route or it can be detours or it can be mazes and labyrinths and things like that. So Danny's in the labyrinth, right? Mm -hmm. And he's running on through. Um, and, and, and his father, Jack Nicholson, you know, is like, you know, Danny, Danny, or whatever. <laughs> and so, and you can see that at some point, you know, Danny's going to get exhausted, reach the dead end, you know, or whatever. I mean, this is this is not going well. But he takes a moment and he stops, okay? And then he puts his foot behind him and the other foot behind that and the other foot behind that so that he carefully retraces the steps that he's just run. And then he dives over to like one corner of the, of the uh, uh, labyrinth or whatever and, and and hides his traces. Mm -hmm. That's the genius of Mercury retrograde. It's like, I could continue along this and not end up well, or I can backtrack over and then through cunning and deception, uh, deceive, you know, what is an enemy or an opponent in this, in this case, it's his father. And so Mercury retrograde can do that. You know, a lot of times people say it's spiritual insight and stuff. Mercury moves too quickly. It's about wits, shrewdness, cleverness, cunning. <laughs> you know, and so and so that's, you know, the Mercury retrograde, if you can use it in a very clever and cunning way, can be extremely winning. I'm glad that's where you went in comparing it to The Shining and not the whole thing of like if, you know, because Jack Nicholson goes crazy in The Shining mm -hmm. <laughs> as yeah. a psychotic break and stuff. Right, 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 right. No, I'm that's like, not the Mercury retrograde <laughs> part. <laughs> Don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. You just have to suffer through the uh, the shining aspect of Mercury retrograde and you'll be good to go. But. Or back, if you find yourself at a dead end or a cul-de-sac, simply backtrack over what you did mm -hmm. and you'll probably end up not only finding your way out, but a better approach than how things were done before. Because, I mean, think of the way, especially nowadays, I mean, Mercury rules over Twitter, you know, and the way that the way that social media has changed our attention span on our emotional reactions and the way that we gauge time. Yeah. Um, but the thing is, I mean, when something doesn't fly up as a link, you know, does that upset you? And how quickly does it upset you? I mean, it's really changed our, our sense of time. So Mercury retrograde actually kind of like gets you to question the smooth running of your day because watch how many people get angry when their smooth running of their day doesn't run smoothly. Or Utah, aren't we the worst nation of drivers or something yeah. like that, right? Because that road rage or whatever <laughs> is going on, it's like, what is so freaking important that you have to get from one, you know, type of thing. And that Mercury retrograde sort of gets you to laugh at something, but it also gets you to be like, you know, step outside of your day-to-day, moment-to-moment mindset. You know, and 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 not take it for granted. It's not so trustworthy. Or there's a little bit of chaos that's been sprinkled in there. You know, type of thing. Oh, well, it's a good way to approach it. Yeah. You know, remind yourself to slow down and account for that chaos and whatever the hell's going to come up. Or remind yourself of your genius. Okay, a oh, oh, your way is blocked. Are you going to sit down in the middle of the road and have a hissy fit? Or are you going to get resourceful, cunning, shrewd, clever? Figure out another way to do it. That's the gift of the Mercury retrograde. Yeah. <clears throat> so you not only do charts for people and readings for people, but you also do horoscopes, right? Mm -hmm. So, which is kind of the same idea. <laughs> kind of the same idea, but if you know, if we're looking at like a horoscope in a in a newspaper or online mm -hmm. or something like that, mm -hmm. I mean, that's a snapshot. Yeah. So, how do you get that information? How is it that you go for? Do you know what I mean? 
How do you get that individualized information for each sign or whatever the case may be? Well, it's hard to use individualized with something like a daily column because mm-hmm. uh, it's very generic, you know. Um, but there's an art to it. There's a kind of haiku. <laughs> That's <laughs> what I try to go for with it. You know, um, when I first began with the San Francisco Chronicle, I took over from Jean Dixon. I don't know if you know who she mm-hmm. was, but she was kind of a big psychic in her day. And she had gone to a, a higher level, higher plane. And I took over uh, from her for the uh, San Francisco Chronicle and then sfk.com. Um, but what you do is that you uh, draw uh, you, you draw a horoscope for the week and you follow the moon through the week. That's the technical thing that, that you do. But what I love is that I only get like about 25 to 30 words. You know, at first I used to despair. I have so much to say, you know, <laughs> type of thing. And there are people who were like, oh, my goodness, they'll take like five pages to get through, like, you know, your sun sign for that day or whatever. But I loved and, and come to absolutely adore like the word limit. You know, you get 25 to 30 words. And then, you know, when I started in 1997, there wasn't Twitter. There wasn't, you know, so it actually lent itself to, you know, yeah. those sorts of things. But what I love about that is that it forces me to sort of like get gist or the gestalt of what it is that's going on for that day and then find the right wording for it you know and and it's such a it's such a ludicrous operation if you think about it but it's amazing i mean how many people will write back and say oh i'm following you or whatever and and i don't expect them to always follow it like it's you're writing for five hundred fifty thousand people or something like yeah. that you know so so you're trying to really get like a trend and something that says something to you uh that day but uh it's a wonderful art form and i strongly recommend it to astrologers is to write daily horoscopes um the other thing that i do with astrology is uh I am uh, I, I'm an historian. I, I actually speak and write a lot about the history of astrology in the United States of America from the uh, pre-revolutionary to, to, to modern time. And so that's something that I really enjoy, is like really tucking into the history of astrology in this country and seeing the effects it had with uh, spirit, the spiritualist movements, with... Uh, uh, Mormonism, uh, although I think it's called Church of Latter Day Saints now or something, but originally uh-huh. it's 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 Mormon. Okay, the incredible impact that it had on Seventh Day Adventists, Jehovah's Witnesses, a lot of emerging American Christian religions flirted around or played around with astrology, um, and I think uh, and so that's like a fascinating thing to to uh, to to sort of see. But my big um, my big thing project that I'm working on right now is something I call trash astrology, which is actually trash astrology. Trash astrology. <laughs> it's the history of trash astrology from the colonial period to now, and it's extraordinary. I mean, like you know, uh, the, um, how astrology was transmitted, and then how astrology actually got people used to the idea of feminism, mm-hmm. psychoanalysis, seances, spiritualism. I mean, this started showing up in the popular, you know horoscopes written of the day in the in, in the 1800s or early 1900s and and to see uh, what an impact popular astrology really had of transmitting you know particularly psychoanalysis you know uh, to the layman who didn't really know that much about it so how, what kind of role was that like how did that play in with well astro- like what was the connection between psychoanalysis and astrology astrology will astrology as I said is a very welcoming hostess she'll pick up you know whatever is being you know put on it so 
a lot of the astrologers in like the 1920s particularly um, who were becoming familiar with psychology would sort of start using psychological terms with the planets and with the zodiacal signs. There's even this uh, leaflet that this pharmaceutical company put out in 1926. Um, and, and it was, I think, originally for bromides or something like that. But it would do like your psychological uh, predict, uh, your psychological sign prediction, you know, according to whatever. And it would say, as a as a Pisces, you might be a very nervous and neurotic type, you know. Who <laughs> and so it was like, so it just combined like this idea of like psychoanalysis and Pisces, or you know, Virgo, you might be a hypochondriac because you're sensitive to you know things that are dealing with your body. And 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 it actually sort of fed this on out to the public. I mean. I have court records from New York City in the 19-teens uh, in which gypsies, you could be arrested for fortune-telling and you would come in and have to pay a fine. But it was also a little bit of an entertainment as well because if you could defend your 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 fortune-telling reading to the judge in a way that was particularly showman-like or creative or funny, you know, <laughs> you'd get off with no fine. And so, but there were gypsies who were coming in off the boardwalks and putting down the, you know, the head, the little bust head uh, mm -hmm. that has the whatever, putting that down and saying, I'm a psychologist. <laughs> I read people's dreams. That's so fascinating. That's what Sigmund Freud does. Yeah. You know, and they were let off. I mean, we have this from the court transcripts. So, you know, it's so this kind of like unexpected, you know, side of history is something that I really, really delight in. And, and, and it's wonderful fun to go and find it out and, and, and write about it. Do you ever, I mean, obviously I'm, certain that you have your own chart and everything like that and you've you know picked apart and dived into your own astrological chart but how much of it have you seen um like you know come true or the predictions or play a role in your life or yeah like if you go back and look at your chart in your life does it really i hate looking at my chart how come <laughs> <laughs> i hate looking at my chart and i can't stand it if someone reads me. <laughs> I was raised Catholic. I no longer practice it, but there's like such an element of like <laughs> type of thing. It's funny. I can do it for other people. Do I you love still doing have it. that kind of stigma attached absolutely. to it in your head Absol some way? Absolutely, absolutely. We all come in with that stuff. <laughs> you know, that's funny. And I'll take a look out of the chart and I'll be like, Ugh. <laughs> I mean, I would be the worst astrologer to myself that one could possibly imagine. Yeah. You know, but um, no, there have been times where. Um, the chart has actually really surprised me, you know. I mean, uh, there there have been a number of different times in which the chart has surprised me, in which I've been like, "Oh my goodness, I didn't." I... Going back and looking at it, I can see how it worked out that way, but I would never have have predicted that or whatever. I think it's really impossible to read for yourself, yeah, because you're either going to exaggerate the pluses or the minuses. You know, most people in astrologies will exaggerate the minuses. You know, it's it's it, they'll be far too critical and far too you know whatever. But there have time there have been times when I've looked at the chart and I've going, been going through a rough time and I'm like, okay, three years of this I can you know, and 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 you work out where 
the difficult parts of those three years are going to be. It's not just three years of blanket whatever, but you could see like, okay, on the solstices and the equinoxes, this is going to be, you know, kind of like mm, rough or whatever. And 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 it's useful, you know, it can, it can prep. And if I were a better astrologer to myself, I would probably be more consoling and comforting and, and, <laughs> and encouraging and things like that. But I'm a miserable astrologer yeah. when it comes to me. I'm, I wouldn't go to me, you know, if I were me. <laughs> but other people, I'm fine. Yeah. But with me, no, I'm far too critical and far too, uh, you know, timid. <laughs> well, it sounds so fascinating. And my guess is we've just barely kind of skimmed the surface. Probably. Do you know what I mean? There's probably way There's more. There's 3,500 years of literature. Yeah. <laughs> I can't thank you enough, though. Thank you. It's been super wonderful. Yeah, it's been great. What's the best way? God, I'm so pissed because I've got all these questions, but I'm sitting here looking at the clock and... That's what happens. Yeah. <laughs> um, what's the best way for people to find you? Uh, rulingplanets.com. Uh, that's my subscription website. And uh, you can either uh, subscribe to the site, which is $1.99 a month or $22 for a year. Um, and you get your daily horoscopes, your weekly horoscopes, your duck and cover days, your rise and shine days, and a cosmic alert. Um, and or come check me out at um, the Safety Consortium, which is where I teach and where I run workshops. We have um, a weekly, weekly class, which is open to astrologers of all levels. And if learning astrology isn't your thing, once a month we either do an astrology slam or tarot slam. And astrology slam is uh, send in your birth information to rulingplanets.com and I'll have a chart ready for you. Uh, it's done in a question answer type of thing, but I really encourage conversation among all the different people that are showing up for that. And that's wonderful. And then Tarot, you bring a deck, you bring your deck. Hopefully it's not too esoteric a deck. Um, I'm Capricorn, so I'm still <laughs> meat and potatoes when it comes to Tarot or something like that. But you bring your deck and we do three card spreads and everyone will read everyone else's a card spread with a with a question and answer. Again, this is kind of designed as a book club. So, you know, but we're all reading that book, that chart, those cards, you know, at the same time. And it's really quite delightful. I mean, a lot of people really do do enjoy it and and, and that's something which is which is a great deal of fun. Yeah. And that's right here in Salt Lake City. Well thank you so much, Christopher. Thank you. It was such a pleasure meeting you and yes, I really appreciate here. it. Yeah. And everybody out there, I'm sure you so fascinating. I can't thank you enough. I'm sitting here and I know I'm going to have a whole bunch more questions that come to me. And Well, so maybe fun. we can meet again. Yes, we'll definitely have another interview <laughs> down the road. So, But everybody go out and have a beautiful, beautiful, wonderful day. Absolutely. That's why every major civilization, or maybe even not so major civilization on the face of the earth, has some form of astrology. It was created in order to tell time. Your horoscope is basically your play, and there are ten actors in it that's one of the most beautiful things about astrology. It's not going to tell you that there's no chaos. It's there to help you through the chaos and to even understand the chaos. What you do with your own chaos is your own business.